couple of weeks ago, Jimmy began by uh, telling a better story to those who are gender confused. Last week, we looked at the environment, tell a better story about looking after our world. And today, we're, we're looking at the idea or, or the theme of tell a better story to those who are same-sex attracted. Uh, so this is a, a huge topic. And I, I think I need to say straight up that no one is going to hell because of their sexual attraction. There's been a lot of talk in the news and um, uh, Christians have been accused of all sorts of things. We heard from the first reading that it's the church that is going to be judged more uh, harshly than the world because we live in a world where every person is sexually broken. Every person suffers from sin and that affects our sexual uh, being as well. So we need to see that and it's not because of sexual attraction, it is to do with our relationship with Jesus and the good news for those who are sexually attracted is that Jesus will receive them and, and welcome uh, them into his kingdom, into his family. So as we begin, I just want to, you know, I just want to delay that, that ground. You may have people, friends, family, relatives, I know that I do, who are suffering with sexual attraction and who may even be living a gay lifestyle. So it's not something that we are unfamiliar with and it's not something that God is unfamiliar with. So uh, let's pray that we will hear God's word uh, more loudly than we hear the word of our culture at this present time. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us sexual beings. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you care for us and that you love us and that you call us uh, to, to live our lives for you and to use um, the, the gifts that you've given us and the person you've made us to be for your glory and for your kingdom. So please, Lord, open our ears to your word and, Lord, give us... Um, the desire to put into practice the things that we hear and the strength to actually be able to do that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. We live in a sexually charged world, don't we? Um, sexual images are everywhere, even ads on government buses. If you were to look at the... Um, program for what's happening on television if you watch free-to-air television anymore or even you know I suppose the program on, on Netflix or anything you can see um, there are documentaries about sex uh, there are series about uh, that, that I'm not even going to use the names of those series in church because it's t they're too vulgar but there they are on our TV screen uh, there, there are sitcoms that, that always have um, the couple that are in a gay re relationship. Uh, there are reality TV shows where you know you can get married at first sight, and if you're a, a virgin in your 30s, you just got ridiculed. And uh, I don't know if you've watched that show, but it's there in front of us all the time. Even in the news, we see uh, sometimes graphic sexual images. That's the world that we live in. And sexual attraction 
is a very powerful force. So as Christians, what are we to make of sexual attraction? If I'm just kind of standing in the street and a pretty woman walks past and I turn my head and look, is that wrong? Similarly, if I'm standing in the street and a hunky guy walks past and I turn my head, is that wrong? Sexual attraction is not wrong. Whether it's same sex or opposite sex, the feeling of sexual attraction is not wrong. You may not have even chosen your particular um, focus of sexual attraction, but there you are. And you find yourself turning your head at one particular person or another. So what are we to do? Well, if sexual attraction is not wrong, then we need to realise that same-sex attraction is not a sickness, is not a condition that needs to be fixed. To feel a, a, an attraction to someone of the opposite sex is not a sin. And there are people who feel that attraction and who are unhappy and uncomfortable with feeling that attraction. But there they are. They, are, they, are, um, they find themselves in that position. Sexual attraction is not a sin, but if we take that sexual attraction and turn it into desire and then give in to that desire, then we are on the slippery slope of sin. Because we know, don't we, that temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. And temptation comes to all of us. Sexual temptation comes to all of us. And at some point, we have to actually recognise that and say, no, I will not act on that. I won't go down that path. When we read the scriptures, um, instructions given to, to, uh, to Christians in that same letter that Peter read to us, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, who were actually in a world that was probably more um, sexually active and, 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 and more uh, in your face than it is, even is today. I don't know if you've ever seen a temple prostitute or uh, you know, people trying to entice you to worship God and to have sex with them, but that's what Corinth was like. And there were all sorts of other things that were happening in the city of Corinth. And in the church, there was a man who was living with his, probably his stepmother, his father's wife. I doubt it was his mother. That would be too gross but even his stepmother and that and Paul writes about you know him and and expelling him from the church but he says um, in the, a few verses later he says flee from sexual morality immorality flee from sexual immorality Christians need to hear that advice turn off that television don't watch that program or that movie. Don't read that magazine or that novel. Remove yourself from that particular group of friends. Flee from sexual immorality, Paul says, because 
of all sin, it actually affects your body. It affects your very nature of being a, a, a human being. So do whatever you need to do to escape from any uh, illicit sexual activity. That is the advice that, that the Apostle Paul gives to the Christians in the church in Ephesus. So how did we get to that point? God has made us as sexual beings and sex is part of God's good design for us. What has gone wrong? Well, if we believe that God has made us and that God has designed sex to be uh, good for us, then we need to believe what he says in his word. We need to want to hear what God's word says on this matter because God will know best, won't he? If he is the creator of sex and uh, if he is the one who has given intention to sex, then if we are to participate in um, sexual activity and enjoy what God has intended for us, we need to listen to his word. Now I want to say, if you don't believe um, that God has your best interest at heart, if you don't believe that God has designed sex as a good thing, if you don't believe that God's word is, is true, then you, your behaviour will be, uh, you will slip into all of those types of sexual sin and illicit behaviours that we've mentioned. Now the sad thing is that many Christians say they believe this, but then when push comes to shove and the pressure is on and the temptation is there, they throw that out the window. And if we speak in our community about God's uh, standard and about God's good plans and desires for sex, what does the community say? How, do we, how does it respond? Well, our community says, how dare you, based on some ancient book, try and tell me how I should use my body? How dare you think that you could know what's best for me sexually um, because you've read some uh, mouldy old textbook? That's the response we get. And we have to understand, don't we, it is unimaginable to people in our world who are not Christians that there might be a God who has designed uh, sex and the way that it should be used for our good and that we should actually turn to him and listen to him. But for the people of God, it has always been so. Right back from the beginning, we read in Genesis chapter 2 that right back there in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of time, there it is. God has created sex and he has designed sex to be enjoyed exclusively in a long-term relationship between a man and a woman in which the two complementary partners become one. That is the essence of, of um, God's teaching in Genesis chapter 2. Now compare that with our culture's view of sex and no wonder we're in a battlefield uh, with those outside the church and even with some inside the church. And we need to step back, don't we, and look at our culture and be able to critique our own situation and our own circumstances. Our culture cannot imagine 
anyone saying no to sexual desire. The world that we live in says that sex is intrinsic to human fulfilment. Sex is a part of life and you need it. You, you need to have sex in order to be fulfilled as a person. And you have the right to express your sexuality and even your sexual desires so long as you don't um, hurt anybody else. But no one should comment on your decision to have a relationship which is uh, friendship with benefits. No one should crit critique your, your sex life and what you do. Because after all, I'm just doing what everybody else is doing and meeting my sexual needs which is part of life. So a society which gives that kind of message that you should be having sex, well then if you're not, then the pressure is on and you are actually uh, twisted into thinking that you are, you are somehow missing out. Could there be something wrong with me? Now Christians uh, reject this view of the world and particularly this view of human life. We believe that a person's identity does not come from their sexual orientation or their sexual uh, identification or sexual experiences. That is so important to, for us to understand, isn't it? A person's identity does not come from their sexuality. And expressing your sexuality is not the highest uh, good in finding yourself as an individual. God's way of sex is quite different. Um, we call it unity in difference. God's way of sex is unity in difference. And um, earlier in Genesis chapter 1, where we read that God made the sexes, made male and female, we understand that God has created a difference between male and female for a purpose, so that we might express the very image of God. So right there in, in the creation of the sexes, God has given a purpose and intention that is more than just to do with the relationship between the two. It has a profound implication for for the nature of God and for who he has created us to be. Then we get to Genesis chapter 2 and we see that God creates a man and a woman and it is through their union, through their marriage we can call it because this is a, a verse that's used to uh, describe that marriage relationship where the man leaves and the woman leave their, their families of origin and cleave to one another and the two become one flesh. And in that relationship, real sex happens. Real sex that uh, is not just a physical activity, but it is, uh, it is a, a, a union that is physical and spiritual, as God has intended as the two become one. The word for one is the same word to say that God is one. 
Okay, it, it's not just kind of number one. It is a unity. It is uh, a distinct uh, unity. And that's God's intention. So if we take that as, as it comes, then we can understand why any sex outside of marriage cannot be right in God's sight. Say that again. Any sex outside of marriage cannot be right in God's sight. If you remove the permanence from the marriage um, ceremony, then that is not true marriage. If you remove the exclusiveness from the marriage ceremony, that is not a true marriage. If you remove the gender from the marriage ceremony, that is not a true marriage, according to what God says. So God's design for sex is that it's, it's to be experienced in a faithful, monogamous, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman who give themselves to each other in a one flesh relationship till death do us part. So the, the good news is that God is for sex. God is for sex. Sex is for marriage. That is the way um, that, that God has designed human, human sexuality to work. Now some people say, well that's just Old Testament. That, you know, Jesus never spoke against same-sex marriage or same-sex attraction. But to make that kind of a statement is to misunderstand his cultural framework. When asked about marriage and um, God's intention for sex in Matthew chapter 19... Jesus actually goes right back to Genesis 2 and he quotes what we have, have just read, but he adds to it. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and join with his wife, and so the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus reaffirms God's idea of sex, the Bible's idea of sex, and he says that sex within marriage is not to be uh, broken. What, what God has joined together, let no person separate. So Jesus speaks uh, about sex being exclusive to a committed marriage. And if you are not in that relationship, well then there is no proper way uh, to, to have sex. Now, does that sound like a hard thing? That's an incredibly hard thing. That is an incredibly hard thing. How can Jesus kind of, in, in a few words, just uh, stop not just same-sex attracted people but unmarried people from thinking that they can actually express themselves sexually, that they can have a sexual relationship? But the Bible's um, view on marriage is so important to God not just so that um, men and women might enjoy sex in marriage but so that all people might see something of the nature of God. And uh, that is what a permanent, faithful, stable relationship, marriage relationship, 
actually reflects a permanent, faithful, stable relationship between God and his people. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, using the same quote from Genesis 2, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. There is a greater picture than just earthly marriage, and that is eternal, eternal marriage. There is no marriage between individuals in heaven. There is no sex in heaven. Can you imagine that? If, that's, you know, if that is your, your total um, focus on life, there is no sex in heaven. But there is something better that we cannot even begin to imagine or to understand. And that is the relationship between Christ and his church. How does that work? I can't tell you. But God says that, so I believe it. We aren't missing out. You know, sex and marriage are till death do us part. But then throughout all eternity we have this relationship that uh, is between Christ and his people. And if we start redefining sex and marriage then we mar the essential beauty of God's eternal picture of his love for his people. We rob ourselves of the thought of that uh, certain future hope and we also spoil what it means to be in the image of God now as we, as we uh, don't fulfil his purposes for us. So I have not had uh, experience with same-sex attraction but I do think that this is good news for those with same-sex attraction. And, and you can say, well, it's easy f for me because I'm married. Well... I want to show us a, a quick uh, few-minute interview with a guy who is a Christian who does uh, struggle with same-sex attraction. Thanks, Neil. I'm a Christian. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm an uncle. I'm a cousin. I'm a nephew. I'm also a member of the church family at Emmanuel Bristol uh, and I serve that church as their associate pastor. Why some people are same-sex attracted is a very hotly contested subject. There's books I read that tell me it's my fault that one day I woke up and decided to uh, fancy some men. That's not true. There are some books that tell me it's my parents' fault that my relationship with my parents is the big determining factor. That's not true. I have a great relationship with both my parents. There are other people that tell me it's my genes. No really scientific evidence for that. There are some people that tell me it's because I wasn't very good at uh, contact sports, that I can't see a ball, and that's why um, I'm same-sex attracted. Loads of theories. What is the answer? Why are some people same-sex attracted? I think the best answer is we just don't know, and some people are. Is it fair that I am? Well, I am, and God is good, and God has created me to be the person who I am. I can rage against that if I want to, but it isn't particularly constructive. What I can do is see the good that God's brought out of that and how he used it in my life and other people's lives to help me become more and more like Jesus, to help them become more and more like Jesus too. 
there's a huge amount of confusion over what terminology you use in this whole area of homosexuality. Do you say that you're gay? Uh, there's been language that's been used at different times in different places. We tend to use the language of same-sex attraction. We do that because um, the language I'm gay has so often been uh, used to signify that somebody is identifying themselves by their sexuality and that somebody's embraced a lifestyle that is an active homosexual lifestyle. We talk about experiencing same-sex attraction because it just includes more people and includes us. And certainly it's a sort of piece of language that's been used more and more by people in, within the gay community to just recognise that not everybody's happy with what has become quite political language of gayness. I think what I find so convincing uh, about what the Bible says about uh, sexuality and sex and marriage and homosexuality is that there's a consistent line all the way through, right from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. There's just a really clear uh, stress on the fact that marriage is for life, that marriage is for a man and a woman, and that sex is just for marriage and shouldn't happen outside. And that happens in Genesis, but it happens all the way through the Bible. And the Bible was written into loads of different cultures, it, uh, it deals with a whole range of human experience, and yet it still has that clear and consistent line all the way through. And that's what really helps me be convinced that the Bible says that, that homosexual sex, that uh, sexual relationships between people of the same sex are wrong, because at no point, in no book, is there even a hint that that might be, that that might be right in God's sight, that it might be permissible. So it's just the clarity of it all. And then there's also the fact that, you know, throughout human history, up until very recently, no Christians have ever taken any different line on the Bible. So all the great Christians that I respect and want to follow, whose books I read, have been really clear that marriage is for life between a man and a woman and that sex is for marriage. That would be true of some of the ancients that I like reading, like St. Augustine or St. Gregory. It would be true of some of the more recent authors that I love reading, like a G.K. Chesterton or C.S. Lewis. It's only very, very recently that people have begun to change their minds. And the only reason I can see for people changing their mind is what's happening in society around us, not what the Bible says. I can live life without sex because sex isn't the only way for deep and meaningful relationships with other people. Obviously, it can be something that brings great depth and meaning to a relationship between a man and woman, and the Bible is really encouraging of that. But the Bible is also really clear that deep and meaningful relationships happen in a whole range of contexts. So there are some wonderful friendships in the Bible which are really, really deep um, and really, really loving and really, really caring. David and Jonathan would be perhaps the most famous example of that. And I found that in my life, although I might not have somebody that I am sleeping with, I have loads of people who I have deep and meaningful relationships with that aren't sexual in any way, shape or form, but which provide me with the sort of people you need to have alongside you in life as a Christian, as a human being. There are times in life uh, when I do think and I do feel that my experience of same-sex attraction is unfair and that I do struggle with that. But actually increasingly I'm seeing the good that God has brought about in my life through my experience of same-sex attraction. It's helped me grasp his love for me. It's helped me grasp um, so much about uh, what it means to be open and honest with people. Sharing uh, my experience of same-sex attraction has deepened friendships has allowed other people to be open and honest about what they experience and what they go through. It's been a really uh, great moment in our church's life for me to be open about this. It's encouraged other people to be open about what they're going through too. It's been a really, really positive thing. Um, it's one of the things that God has most used in my life to make me more and more like Jesus. And it's one of the things that God has most used in my life 
to help me point other people to Jesus too. And so there are bad days, but on the good days, I see with absolute clarity the good that God has brought out of my experience of same-sex attraction. And I'm really, on those days, grateful to him for it. So as I finish up, what is the better story for those who are same-sex attracted? The first is that, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that, that Christ loves them as he loves all people and he calls all people to turn to him, no matter what our sexual orientation, to turn to him and uh, to receive his love and his forgiveness. That is great news uh, for all of us in our sexual brokenness. But it is great news for those who are same-sex attracted. Secondly, people who are same-sex attracted can experience the love of God and should experience the love of God through the church. And as a church, we need to get this right. As a church, we need to get this right. Sin has impacted all areas of our life and uh, we need to accept each other, forgive each other as, God has, as Christ has forgiven us and if you are married, then you have to love God more than you love your spouse. If the body of Christ is going to work, you have to love God more than you love your spouse so that we just don't shrink back into family tribalism. Love God, love your neighbour as yourself. And those who are same-sex attracted uh, will experience that same love and acceptance in a, in a church that is healthy and growing. And then thirdly and finally, same-sex attraction, the, uh, the, the gospel is good news for them as it is for all of us because of God's eternal future. That sex and marriage are just for this life. They are not um, the main game and in fact God has a future for us that will be glorious beyond our imagination without sex and marriage. So let me finish by reading. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. That is the picture of the new heaven and the new earth of Christ and his church. That is the future that we look forward to, of God dwelling with us, that we will be his people and that he will be our God. Let me pray. Lord.